Morning, folks. Glad to see you. Glad you're here. First time here. Man, we're glad to have you. Um, and uh, looking forward to continuing this series this morning until every person knows. Uh, as Chase mentioned earlier, um, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I don't get real fired up about Super Bowl Sunday. I get fired up about the food um, that we get to eat, but that's about it. But one thing that is pretty impressive to me, and this has absolutely nothing to do with anything other than um, it's just impressive, is that Tom Brady is 43 years old. That's insane. I'm 45. If I were to get hit by a 300-pound lineman that can run like a 4'6", 4'7", 40, I would crumble. I'd never get up again. And somehow this guy continues to do this. It's pretty amazing um, to see this and just to see how the longevity of that. I saw a thing um, this week, and I, I think I've got this correct, but it had a picture of Tom Brady in 2001 when he was drafted. I believe that was the year. And then next to it, it had a picture of Colin Kaepernick, uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, Patrick Mahomes, I'm sorry, Patrick Mahomes, who was uh, in 2001 in kindergarten. <laughs> and I thought, how crazy is that, right? You've got uh, this guy who's drafted beginning his career, and then you've got Patrick Mahomes, who was in kindergarten, and tonight they're, they're squaring off. So that's pretty cool. Um, so I hope you enjoy the game if you watch. If not, enjoy a commercial or some food or something. Just use it as an excuse to get off your New Year's resolution as if you're still on it, um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, enjoy that. But today, Acts 14, 1 through 28. We're going to look at chapter 14 of Acts and continue looking at this um, from a standpoint of until every person knows. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago, a vision for God's church, for our church, is to continue to um, demonstrate and declare uh, the gospel to equip and encourage people and to set people apart and send them out into the world to do what God created them to do. And so when we look at this uh, today, I want you to keep those things in mind, that this is what we are here for and to carry out those purposes in particular in demonstrating, declaring, equipping, encouraging, and setting apart and sending out. So if you have a Bible, your phone, whatever you're gonna read along with, it'll be on the screen also. I want us to read uh, beginning in Acts 14. We're just gonna start in uh, verse eight and read from there to the end of the chapter. It's only about 20, 21 verses. Um, to let you know what's going on, we looked at this last week in Acts 13, where Paul, um, the apostle Paul, began his first missionary journey. Um, the apostle Paul was uh, a, a Jewish um, leader, um, and he was completely against the church. He was completely against Jesus until he had an encounter with Christ that uh, brought him to a place of conversion and becoming a follower of Jesus. And um, he began to move um, in a completely different direction. And so in Acts 13, he begins the first missionary journey. Paul, have, in Acts, records three specific missionary journeys that Paul took. And so this is him going out and beginning to fulfill what Jesus said, that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so we really begin to see Jesus carrying this out, um, carrying this forward um, through Paul and through the church um, in these chapters. And so we're picking up in 14, as Paul is kind of in the middle of this uh, missionary journey, going to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the world around him. Um, now that it has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, now literally 
going to the ends of the earth. And so um, in verse one through seven, he goes into a, a city called Iconium and he goes in and as he always did, he would go in and begin to preach the gospel, usually in a synagogue, a Jewish house of worship. And he would begin there and then he would spread out from there preaching the gospel. He goes into Iconium. Um, he has great success. The Lord blesses the word. The, the, the people are coming to faith. They're coming to know Christ. Um, God is moving. But then um, some of the Jews begin to stir up uh, some trouble for him, and they actually um, make a plot against him to, to harm him and, and to kind of get rid of him. They wanted to stone him. And so he finds out about this and he and the folks traveling with him, Barnabas and others, they move on from there and they go to a city called Lystra and a place called Derb. And so and this is where we're picking up in verse eight. It says, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And so Paul and Barnabas, God uses them to heal this man. But there's this confusion among the Laconians that, that, that somehow Paul and Barnabas did this. And so they, they began to uh, think that these are, they're gods, right? And so Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul, they began to call Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, they brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer them sacrifices. And so here, Paul and Barnabas and the folks with them are there and they're, they're preaching the gospel. They're trying to tell them about the one true God who's made a way for us to come to him. They begin to be mistaken for gods. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. Isn't it cool to think, all right, God's got a testimony. It's not just us who have a testimony. God has a testimony. What's God's testimony? He says here this, he says, he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. So the plot that they had been planning to, for Iconium, now Paul is in Lystra and they begin to carry it out there. So they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. And listen, this is crazy. But after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Who does that? The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derb. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. And listen, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia and they came into Pamphylia and when they had reached the or preached the, the word in Perge, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. Now this is a different Antioch from the one above. One is Pisidian Antioch. The, one, the first one we heard in this passage, this one is Syrian Antioch, where they were sent out from. It says, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can open it, we can read it. We thank you, Lord for the power of your word, for the power of your Holy Spirit. The Lord, through your word and through your spirit, you open our eyes to the glorious, the gloriousness, the, the, the majesty that is who you are, that we see in Christ. And Lord, your spirit is indeed in us who follow Jesus and your spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is upon us. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient in us for all things. That, Lord, when we are weak, Lord, you give us strength. Lord, that just as we sang, Lord, where we see ashes, you see beauty. That through your power, you exchange our ashes for your beauty. And we are thankful, Lord. Lord, would you speak to our hearts now that we would leave here loving you more than we did when we came in, that we love you more today than yesterday and more tomorrow than today as we grow in knowing you better. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week was pretty challenging. If you were here um, I don't need to go into that too much. Um, it was scary. It was uh, embarrassing. It was all of the above for things for, from, from what happened. If you weren't here, then just pretend nothing happened. Um, but it was. And, and one thing I can tell you is I would never do anything, and you, I think you know this if you have been around much, to endanger anyone or endanger the ministry here and what God has intended. Um, and the crazy thing about that was in front of you in that moment and in front of people at 11, I had to live out the message I was preaching. Um, and that was tough. And I've heard this said a lot of times, it's a lot easier to preach a message than it is to live one out. And that can be true in varying degrees. Last week, that was really hard for me. Um, it's tough to live out a message anytime, especially if you try to do it in your own strength. It's even tougher when you have to try to do it in front of a bunch of people, whether they're here or watching online. And, and that was extremely challenging. But I want you to see something today in Acts. And as you go back and you read through the scriptures in general, I want you to see that what we're reading is literally Paul living out a message before us. 
It's literally what we talk about. They are doing this. It is reading the, the accounts of their life and how they're living out this message and how the gospel is going forward and how this is taking place. And Paul lives this out. Barnabas lives this out. The church lives this out. And I want us to see how we live this out consistently through the good, through the challenging, and really begin to see this happen in our own lives. And so as we look at this, I want you to look back at verses eight through 20. I'm not gonna read all the way back through those verses, but I just want you to see what's happening because this is a great example. We talk about those three purposes of the church. The first one being to demonstrate and declare the gospel. Is this not a great example of demonstrating and declaring the gospel? When you look at this, that there's this lame man who's there. Um, Paul comes, he recognizes that the spirit of God is there. Faith is there to, to heal. He, he commands this man to get up on his feet, to be healed healed um, and he stands up and begins to move, but they're also proclaiming the good news. They're telling them about Jesus um, as, as this is all taking place. And then a, a crowd begins to come. And, and the thing is like, it kind of goes crazy, but yet we know there were still people who believed. If you go and you read when they drug Paul thinking he was dead outside the city, it said the disciples gathered around him. We read this and kind of think maybe this all happened in a day, but this is a period of time. And these disciples are people who've come to faith through the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. And we see that the gospel is effective because it is demonstrated and declared by Paul and Barnabas and those others who maybe have been accompanying them. And so we see a good picture of this. It's, it's throughout Acts, but I want you to see this today, that there is a clear declaration. There is a clear demonstration of the gospel. And it's not just in the words they're saying, but as we read this, we see that they're living out this message before the people. And so we can see this really clearly in this passage, this demonstrating and declaring. Now look at verses 21 through 28. It talks about how they went to this city called Derb and they began to proclaim the gospel and a large number of disciples came to know the Lord. A large number of these people began to come to know Christ. And so we recognize in this, again, the declaration and demonstration of the gospel, but then it goes on in verse 22 and it says, or 21, the end of it, it says, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And what were they doing? They were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now, when we look at those two words, strengthening and encouraging, literally, if you look at that and you put it together, it, it really has this meaning of fortifying. They're literally fortifying these young disciples, these young converts, and they're fortifying the church. And what we see taking place in these passages, it goes on and tells us that he says, we have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. But it also says Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord. And it talks about how they stay with them. There was teaching going on. These elders were there to continue that teaching. And so what we see happening in these passages is this equipping and encouraging 
that we talk about. They're being equipped and encouraged. And, and he goes on from there and they finally return back to Antioch. And we look at chapter 14, we kind of look at it and go, okay, it's real clear in there to see where this demonstrating and declaring the gospel is taking place, where this equipping and this encouraging is taking place. But what about the setting apart and the sending out? Well, this is what's really cool about this is if you go on over to chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, I want you to look at this because now a period of time elapses. Now Paul is going on his second missionary journey. He's going back out. Part of the mission is to strengthen churches, but part of it is to take it to places that it has not gone, to take the gospel beyond where it's been. And so when we read this, this period of time has elapsed, but listen to where he goes and listen to what happens. In Acts chapter 16, verse one, it says, Paul came to Derb. Okay, this is coming back to Derb again. And then to where? Lystra. This is the same place we read about where uh, they wanted to sacrifice to him. They wanted to do all these things. We know that some disciples were one there. And listen to what it says. They went to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul's about to take him amongst Jewish people. They know that his father's a Greek. He's not a Jew. So he circumcises him so that he'll have a better um, be able to fit in better with the Jews to declare the gospel to them. This young man, Timothy, is set apart. It says, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. I want you to see what's happened here is Paul and Barnabas go and preach the gospel in Lystra. They go and, and some disciples are one. They come back after a period of time. The elders have continued to preach and teach the gospel to the people. And now this young man named Timothy has been raised up. He's grown up. He's been equipped. He's been encouraged. And now Paul recognizes God is setting him apart to continue going with us to carry out the mission of God. Isn't that pretty cool? Like you can see this play out so clearly in scripture that there is a clear call for the church to demonstrate and declare the gospel. There is a clear call for the church to equip and encourage people. There is a clear call in the church to set people apart and send them out for the gospel work. Very, very clear. Not hard to see it in scripture. But to carry it out, to live out the message is challenging at times. It's challenging at times. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about how does this happen? How does it happen that the church becomes so alive? That there's such a great demonstration and declaration and equipping and encouraging and a setting apart and sending out that this is taking place, that, that the church is, is doing the purpose of the church. And so I want to just walk through some things that we see in these passages. The first thing is this, it starts with an experience. It starts with an experience. 
to see the gospel go forward and demonstrating, declaring, equipping, encouraging, setting people apart and sending them out, it begins with an experience. Now the church shies away from the word experience sometimes because a lot of times we equate experience with a goosebump. Like, woo, I felt the Lord today. But there's more to it than that. Now, when we experience God, many times emotion is involved, but the experience I'm talking about is not just an emotional experience. Emotions come and go. But the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith, He never leaves us. He is inside of us. And so I want you to understand the experience we need to have is not a goosebump. It's not just an emotion. It is an experience with the word of God, the gospel, the good news, and the Holy Spirit. An experience of the word and the spirit. Then verses 14 through 18. This is what we really see happening. Paul and Barnabas have done this miracle. They've been proclaiming the gospel. But it says, these people begin to try to sacrifice to him. And listen to what they say. They say, friends, why are you doing this? We're only humans. And he begins to explain to them what's really taking place. He says, we're bringing you good news, the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he letting all nations go their own way, yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He begins to tell them this. It's a very different message than what he would have proclaimed in a Jewish synagogue. Why? They've got no reference point of the one true God. So he begins with them and he's like, look, don't you recognize it's not us that does this, it's God. And it's just God who even when you turn your back on him, he provided you with food, he provided you with rain, even though you rebelled against him, he provided you with these things. He's shown you his kindness, even in this, even in the, the walking away. He's saying, look, don't you recognize this? Look at Matthew chapter five. Flip back to the very first gospel, the first book in the New Testament there, Matthew chapter five. And I wanna read a few passages because I think this really shows us some incredible things that we need to grab hold of when I speak about this experience. We need to understand when we talk about the gospel and the Spirit of God needs to quicken our hearts and open our eyes to see this. It says in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son, listen to this now. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Listen to what he says. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. 
Can y'all relate to these passages? Like, it's easy to love people who do good to you. It's not easy to love people who hurt you. And yet Jesus in these passages is telling us, if you really wanna be like your father in heaven, then this is what you need to do because this is what your heavenly father has done. He has loved his enemies. And you're like, well, I'm not really an enemy of God, Emma. Before you come to Christ, you are. And according to Romans chapter five, um, verse six, it says this, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, listen to this, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You gotta understand that before Christ, before coming to faith, it's not that, that, that we were just unsaved, we were enemies of God. We had rebelled against him. Our sin missed the mark. We had taken ourselves away from him. And yet the Bible tells us, and Jesus is telling us in Matthew 5, he's like, look, if you want to be like your heavenly father, then love your enemies. Because guess what? That's what he did for you. That's what he did for you. He loved you. And think about this. You know, it's probably not hard for you to kind of get the person in your mind that you like the least in the world. How hard is it for you to love that person? For some of you, it might be you. How hard is it for you to love you? How hard is it for you to love your biggest enemy? And yet that is what God has done. And he has demonstrated that through Jesus. He has demonstrated his love for us by loving his enemies. It even says in there that he even fills your hearts with joy, even though we've rejected him, even though we've gone away. He says, I'm sending the rain, I'm sending the blessing. Even though when I send the blessing, you're gonna worship the blessing instead of worshiping the one who sent it. I'm still gonna send it and I'm gonna show you my love and it's gonna climax, it's gonna be the pinnacle when I send Christ and he dies on a cross. And if you can look into his eyes as he stands, as he's on that cross, and you think about the death that he died, not just the pain of nails and, 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 and briars and thorns pushed upon his head, but thinking about the pain of God's wrath being poured out on him because of our sin. And you think about how, you know, you always hear this when um, parents are about to spank their child and the dad's like, oh, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I've never said that to my child because I know that's a lie. But the epitome of that, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. The epitome of that is what we see with the Father and Jesus. It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You're going to go through some tough times, but understand this. This is going to hurt me way more. But I'm going to do this not just to save you from yourself or just to save you from sin, but I'm going to save you from me. 
because I am so righteous and so just that I need to punish this evil. But guess what? I love you so much that I'm gonna make a way for you to not go through the punishment. So I'm gonna put myself on the cross. I'm gonna punish myself. I'm gonna demonstrate my love so that then you can never have to go through that. And so we recognize this love of God. It's an experience. And this grace that God gives is common to all men in some form, in some way he gives us all grace like this, like this. Watch, watch. I'm going to demonstrate this to you. Everybody right now, you ready? Take a deep breath. Breathe it out, but not too hard. We're in a pandemic. You just experienced God's grace. Breathe in again. We sang a song, it's your breath in my lungs. It's your breath in my lungs. It's grace, you've experienced grace. On uh, Monday, I was home with my youngest son. He's had strep throat and he's over it, but it took him a little while to get over. I'm, I'm home with him and we're sitting at the kitchen table and um, he was eating breakfast and we just got to talk and we talked about everything from evolution to um, hell. And he asked me in our conversation, he said, dad, is God really gonna send everybody who doesn't know Jesus to hell? I said, son, God's never sent anybody to hell. I said, they chose it by rejecting God. I said, son, if God is really good and he's right and he's just, would it be good or right to make someone who wants nothing to do with you spend eternity with you forever? No. And he's like, well, what about, what's hell gonna be like? I'm like, well, I've never been there, but I said, you know, the Bible talks about the, the fire and all of this stuff and it does, but the worst part of hell is gonna be complete separation from God. I said, nobody on the face of the earth really knows what it would be like for God to completely withdraw himself from our lives because we all experience his grace. I said, Reed, can you imagine what it would be like if God completely withdrew himself from our lives? And he sat there for a second and he looked up and he goes, it'd be hell. And he got it, right? And it would be, and we don't know what that would be like. And listen, if we are a follower of Jesus, we'll never know what that's like. Thank God that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that the wrath of God has been placed upon Jesus so that you and I can be accepted and loved. But the first thing we have to, if we're going to see this happen, the gospel going forward, and we're really going to demonstrate, declare, equip, encourage, set apart, and send out, it begins with an experience, not a goosebump, not an emotion. It begins with an experience of God's word. It begins with an experience of his spirit and the word coming together. The Bible tells us that it's by hearing the word, the gospel, that, that, that we come to faith. And that's the beginning. But listen, it's not just enough to hear. There has to be a response. What's your response to the gospel, to Jesus? Is it to be like Peter and 
James and John and Andrew, that when Jesus said, come follow me, they left everything and followed. That it's a surrender, an act of surrender, not just a casual acquaintance. Have we accepted, believed, trusted Jesus? Is that our response? We see in the passages there in Acts 14 that there were people who accepted, but there were also those who rejected. What's your response been? Has it been a wholehearted response? Has it been a cross my fingers, hope to die, you know, maybe I'll get in kind of response? Because if you're just doing this to try to get to heaven, you're missing the point. But we all have to make a response. And understand this, if you reject the gospel, you're not rejecting me or Paul or some other biblical person, you're rejecting God and his offer, his kindness, his love, his way to reconciliation. So it starts with the experience. There has to be a response and you need to wrestle with that a little. What's my response to the gospel? The next thing we have to have is a hunger. There's a hunger because see, when we have an experience with God through his word, through the spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is a new hunger that develops. It's a hunger for God's presence. And one of the things that I fear is that many people in the church today, we don't really experience God's presence, the sweetness of his presence. Got a picture I want to show you real quick. They got it ready back there. Anybody remember those? Some people old enough, y'all old like me. You remember this? A lot of y'all, y'all don't have any idea. Y'all are like, what is that thing? Is that a microwave? That, friends, is a TV. And if you're like me, you can remember turning to get the channels, right? Whatever six, five, three channels you got, you, you would turn it to get it. In fact, this is the reason most people had kids when I was little, is to turn the TV and get the beer out of the refrigerator. That's pretty much what we existed for. So I get up, turn the TV. Ah. And so this was this. Was this. And this one I don't think is, but, but before this even, they, they were just in black and white. I did have color. Some of y'all are like, I remember watching the black and white. I'm not quite that old, right? But, but they were in black and white. And think about this, guys. I want you to get this, that for many people in the church, this is kind of their Christian life. It's sort of in black and white. It's not alive. It's not livid. It's, it's, it's kind of black and white. It's just kind of blah. And here's the thing is that the church has kind of told us this should be the way it is. Just stay faithful. We'll be content with safe black and white Christianity. And yet now we've got TVs. I was asking Ryan this morning. I was like, what's the latest TV? Because they changed so much. He's like, it's like an 8,000K. I'm like, okay, that means absolutely nothing to me. 
It's an ultra HD. Okay, HD stands for high definition, I think. You can get that. But listen, when you've watched a ball game on a HD TV and you don't have to get up to turn the channels, it's kind of cool. It brings things to life in a way. Somebody was talking to me this week and they were talking about like the Wizard of Oz and how when it goes from black and white to color, how it just changes everything. And see, here's the thing I believe, guys, is that we need to have this experience with God through his word and through his spirit that makes us where we're not gonna settle for black and white Christianity. I'm not gonna settle for that. Why? Because I've seen and tasted something better. First Peter 2.2, 2, just, just hang where you're at. This will only take a second. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And here's the incredible thing about that. He's saying, look, you have tasted something that is so incredible. You have experienced the presence of God. You've been in that place with God. You, that, that, that now, listen, you, you've got this hunger. You've got this longing for God's presence. And he's saying, don't, don't settle back into this law rules-based religion, but continue to press into the presence of God. Have a hunger for his presence. Don't be content with stale, dead religion. And when this hunger comes, the next thing we need, guys, is commitment. Commitment one, to know him more. Like, I want to know him. I've tasted. I want to know him. And this equipping and encouraging that we talk about, this demonstrating and declaring, it's not just about knowing the Bible. It's not just about cleaning my life up. It's about engaging with God and his mission. And there's this commitment that comes to, to pursuit. But we've got to be careful. We don't want to drift into this place of legalism, right? And see, here's the difference. And you probably want to write this down or put this in your phone because it can be a safeguard for you. It can be a check for you as to, am I living in black and white in this place where I'm just going through the legalistic motions or am I in pursuit of the holy God and his presence because I've tasted and I desire more? In legalism, the goal is to earn acceptance. I'm doing all of these things to fulfill my legal requirements. I'm doing it for acceptance from God and even those sitting around you, I need to be a good Christian. But in pursuit, I throw off everything that hinders and I begin to run after God with all of my heart, not because I need to earn acceptance, but because I've been accepted and I want more of God. And see, both of them have to happen. Legalism happens a lot of times when I don't feel like doing it. But pursuit also happens when I just don't feel like doing it. The difference is the motivation. Is my goal to earn acceptance or am I pressing in pursuing God because I want more of him? We've also got to be committed to the mission, committed to knowing it more, but committed to the mission. When we look at these passages in Acts 
And we see this, man. Paul, can you imagine like the, the you talk about emotions. Like one minute, these people are trying to sacrifice to Paul. The next minute, they're wanting to stone him to death. And here's what's so incredible about Paul. He was so committed to the mission. He was so zeroed in on the purpose and where he was going that neither flattery nor opposition could get him off the mark. You can sacrifice to me all you want to, but you're just doing worthless things. The one you ought to be sacrificing to is God. And the way you do that is through worship. The way you do that is offering your life as a living sacrifice and living pleasing to him. And so he's, he's like, look, you can flatter me all you want to, but I'm just gonna keep pointing you to him. He's like, you can stone me and you can almost kill me, but guess what? I'm getting back up and I'm coming again. Verse 22, he even tells them as he's going through, encouraging them. He's like, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Commitment to the mission. I would ask you this question, who told you it was gonna be easy? I thought getting into ministry, it was gonna be awesome because I'm trying to do good for people. I'm trying to do good for God. Man, this is my heart to, to help. Christians can be some of the meanest people on the face of the earth if they're Christians. Church world can be some of the, some of the hardest area to work in. But I'm asking you this, who said it was gonna be easy? Who said it was gonna be easy? Jesus did it. The apostles did it. God's word does it. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say it's going to be easy. Who told you there was going to be no challenges? But then who told you to be afraid of hardships, of difficulties, of making a fool of yourself in front of people? Who cares in the end? I can tell you this, in 70 years, for most of us, it's not going to matter. What's going to matter is did I demonstrate and declare, equip and encourage, set apart and send out? Did I make a den in eternity? Who told you that you can't do it? Who told you that God can't do it? How do we get such a small view of God that he can only use a few people? When the same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me, the one in me lives in you. I, I've got um, some hunting dogs and some of them are getting a little bit older. And the thing about a hunting dog, a good hunting dog, is as they get older, one, like any dog, they start getting grayer in the face. But I notice with mine that they start getting scarred up. They'll get scars on their faces, on their ears, sometimes on their chest. And they do this because they love doing what they do so much. And they pursue so hard, they go so hard after whatever it is they're hunting and they're pursuing and, and they get scarred and they get cut. But you know what? The next time you let them out, they love it so much and they love doing it so much, they just go again. Scars and everything. And you know what? For me, when I look at those older dogs and I think about what they've been through, what they've done, how much they love what they do, that's almost a badge of honor. 
that they have spent their life doing what they were created to do. And this is what I'm gonna tell you guys. If you follow Jesus, you will end up with some scars. But let me tell you this, it's what we're supposed to do. And when you get to the end and you stand before your heavenly father and you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, guess what? The scars aren't gonna matter. And P.S., listen to this. Scars are places that have healed. We're not supposed to live a scar-free life. I've got my scars from this. I'm pretty sure doing what I do has taken some years off of my life. But let me tell you this, when I stand before him, I'm not gonna regret it one bit. Nobody said it's going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, but his presence makes it worth it. We got to do this, guys. And listen, we got to do this in community. You can't do this by yourself. It's why connect groups are so important. It's why um, discipleship is so important. You need people around you. He talks about going through and strengthening, encouraging the church and the people around them. You need people with you. This week, man, I'm telling you, it was not good, especially at the beginning of the week for me. I, I, I didn't want to continue at nine. I did not want to come back out here at 11. Just to be perfectly open and transparent with you, I bawled my eyes out in my office for about 20 minutes. And for me, and some of you can probably relate to this, I don't receive love very good. I think it comes down to a trust issue, but I'm not going to psychoanalyze it right now but I just don't receive love very well. But this week, man, so many people poured out love to me that even for my stubborn heart, it was impossible to deny it. And 100%, I can tell you this, I would not be standing before you today if it were not for the community of believers encouraging me when I'm down. There's always the naysayers. Well, he don't preach the gospel. Well, all he preaches is the gospel. But then you've got this group around you that's like, hey boy, get up and go. You know who you are in Christ, get up and go. You made a mistake, get up and go. And we do. The last thing is growth. When all of those things come together, that experience with God's word and the spirit, we respond to Jesus and we begin to follow the Holy Spirit's living inside of us and there's this hunger. I don't wanna live in black and white anymore. I wanna live in color. I want it to be vivid, alive. I want it to be, I wanna be engaged in God and his mission and I make this commitment to him and the mission and this community of people is around me and, and we're like, hey, let's go. Let's just storm hell with water pistols. Let's go, woo, right? And we begin to grow and the church is alive. 
And the church is moving and growing and demonstrating, declaring, equipping, encouraging, setting apart, sending out the gospels going forward. The kingdom's growing. The kingdom of darkness is falling. Incredible things are happening. Some of you are called to be equipped, encouraged, to be set apart and sent out. Some of you are called to be equipped, encouraged, so you can begin to equip and encourage others in some way. It doesn't mean you're all gonna be teachers, but there's a gift inside of you that's needed to either be set apart and sent or a gift inside of you that needs to be used to equip and encourage other people to be set apart and sent or to become an equipper. And this is the thing I want you to understand that whether you're called to set apart and send or be sent or whether you're called to equip and encourage, there is no such thing. There, the, the, the people in the New Testament in their mind, there was no such thing as anybody who just sat on the sidelines. There's no such thing as a casual Christian in this. They understood coming in, we're gonna go through hardships, but this life is like a vapor and, 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 and I'm not gonna waste this boop and not make a dent in eternity. So for you, listen, the first thing we need to do and the first thing we're gonna do right now is we're gonna pray and we're gonna tell God, God, I wanna know you. In color. I don't want, God, no more black and white. I wanna know you. And then for some of you, listen, you need to find some community. Some people, not, not just, you know, just to kind of go through motions with, but people who are gonna dig in. People who are gonna get after it through a connect group, go through the, C, the equipping academy. Um, we're gonna be doing some more of the close the gap things coming up here where we try to take the, the knowledge we have of scripture and combine it with an experience of God and experiencing the truth we know. There are ways, listen, go to that next step table. You get signed up, start serving, start jumping in, do whatever you need to do, but let the Lord lead you in that. But Let's just make today this declaration that I'm not living in black and white anymore. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your truth. Oh God, I am so thankful that even, because I want some of you to hear this, because some of you feel like, man, I've been pursuing God and I just don't know. But I want you to understand this, as hard as you pursue God, as hard as you might ever hunger for God, as hard as you might ever go after him, He's pursued you a lot harder. God, we thank you for that, that when we begin to wander, you come after us. Holy Spirit, that you live in us to bring us back. And I thank you for that. And right now, God, as a church, as a body, um, we declare right now, no more black and white, Lord. But we wanna, we wanna live with you. We wanna truly live, not exist. We wanna live, God, not going through religious motions. Lord, would you stir our hearts to do all you have in mind, God? We thank you for the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ. We thank you, God, that you've given us the, the, the privilege to be able to come alongside you in the work you're doing. We know, God, you are building us into something, a, an incredible temple of your Holy Spirit. You're building us into this. Let us glorify you in the things we do, Father. We love you, God. We worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.